turning your Bibles to John 21, because we're talking about being a disciple. You guys realize that that's what Jesus came to make. He came to build them up into what they were intended to be by God. And as disciples, we're followers of Christ. So let me review. If I was to ask you, are you a disciple? Are you following Christ? So let's define it according to what we've read so far. A disciple is someone who finds their identity in Christ. Not in your job. Not in the world. Not in popularity. But we realize that I was fearfully created by God to be a reflection of Him. We find our identity in Christ, not in the world. A disciple is someone who finds their purpose in Christ. Because I'm not here to brag, but I'm going to tell you right now, I know what I'm here for. I'm not aimlessly walking through life. I know what God's created me to do, and I, I want to do it with all my might. That's, God, God has created me, brought me, and blessed me for a reason. We were created for Him. And nowhere in this world do I ever find fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 4.18, you don't have to turn there just by review. And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, see he was changing them. He said, I'm going to make you. He said, I know what you are, but let me show you what you can be. And just so you guys know, if you look around this room and you say, well, I don't see a lot of people that look like Jesus... The thing is, he's still working on us. Amen. And every day we're drawing closer to God. And like I said, you can't be in the presence of the sun and not come away with a suntan or a sunburn. And you cannot be in the presence of Jesus and walk away the same as you were. You cannot. God does something in us where he changes us and conforms us. We gave the illustration of standing in front of a mirror and you say, man, I don't see Jesus in me. But the Lord is constantly changing us. He's transforming us. He's improving us. And he that begun a good work will continue it until that day. Today I'm going to share with you one of the most important parts of being a disciple. And I mean that with all my heart. Out of everything, if, if, if you did not catch anything over the series, I want you to get this today. This is the most important thing that you need to understand because it changes everything. So here's where we're at in this passage. Jesus has died on the cross and... Life had gotten a little complicated for the disciples because things were not what they used to be. I mean, their world was turned upside down. Opposition had come into them. Peter had vowed to follow Jesus unto death, and now he finds himself giving in, and he denied Christ three times. And Peter was discouraged, and he went back to what he knew. His passion before this, his talent, was fishing. So you know what? I know God called me to this, but I'll tell you, I feel like I'm better at this because I failed at that. Sometimes we get to the feeling that we feel like we failed at what God's called us to do. Well, you can't feel satisfied doing anything other than what God created you to do. I'm telling you right now. You can chase the world. You can go out there. You're not going to find anything that will satisfy you like Jesus Christ. Well, he, finished, he fished all night. And uh, you guys know the story. He caught nothing. Now, I can't imagine what this would be like because... Uh, they, 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 Jesus comes on the shoreline and he said, hey, have you tried casting it on the other side of the ship? Now, I don't know about you, but a ship back then, it, you know, was, you know, from that wall to about here or whatever. And there was different sizes or it could have even been a smaller boat, depending the Bible doesn't say. But he cast the, the net back in the, the water and he catches 153 fish in, in one shot. Now, I believe that it was something like this, that God had, was telling the fish literally to swim to one side and they throw it over here and then swim the other side. And 
I don't know what it looked like underneath the water, but I know that God was like, hey, I don't want you getting in that net. And whatever you do, do not get in that net. And then when Jesus had him cast it on the other side, he was like, all right, it's time. Go ahead, get in. And they pull it out, and Peter realized that it was the Lord. The nets were overflowed. And then we read in John 21, verse 7, or verse 1. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on the wise, he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go fishing. And saith unto him, We also go with thee. And he went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come now, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered, and answered him, No. And he said unto him, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitudes of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, and they were not far from the land, and it was about 200 cubits, dragging their nets with fishes. As soon as they were come on the land, they saw a fire of coals, and the fish laid there, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have caught now. Simon Peter went up and drew the net, the land full of great fishes, and 150 and three. And for all there were so many that it was not, was the not uh, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth unto them the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto them, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him a third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. There's so much that we can learn from this and so many principles that I've pointed out in the past from this. But I, I don't want to talk about the coals. I don't want to talk about the failure. I don't want to talk about the, even the restoration of that. I want to zone in on one question. At the end of everything that Jesus had done, bringing them through his life of teaching them to do the miracles and follow Jesus and the teaching and the, the Beatitudes and all this, everything came down to one question that he asked him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? We can make this about how often you go to church, whether you give in an offering, whether you serve in a ministry, whether you've grown up in church, whether you have a position or a title or a background or whatever it is. It comes down between you and God of one question. God just simply says, do you love me? Do you love me? He can say, well, Lord, of course I love you, which is what Peter did. 
But then God asked him a second time and a third time, meaning you are not getting it. Let me put it like this. Words are cheap. You, you can, hey guys, we can get so busy and we can go in our kids' rooms and say, hey guys, I love you and daddy loves you and daddy loves you. Your actions speak louder than your words. The things that you do, the way you invest, the way that you lead, the way, the time that you spend, all of those things, I'm here to tell you that your actions speak louder than your words. And, and God's calling them out on this. See, he said, your love is your motive for everything that we do, for serving, for obeying, for following. But look at what he says. He doesn't just say at the beginning, do you love me? He says in verse 15, lovest thou me more than these? Now it's debated of what the more than these are. I honestly believe that you could not look at this anything other than that net full of fish, 153. Now, if you were a fisherman, that was like big He got so much at one time that he said, I can't believe the net didn't even break. Whatever you do, if you went out and you were a salesman and you sold 10 cars when you normally sell one or however the illustration you want to be, this was a big deal. And Peter and them drag it up on the shoreline and it's there. And you can imagine all that finding of of that, that treasure and everything's laying there. And God looks over and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And I'm sure Peter was ready to go, Lord, of course. And then he points and says, more than these. Because your actions speak louder than your words. 153 fish there. See, let me tell you, love is an action. Love is an action. You do what you love. You can sit there all day long and say, God, I love you. You can stand and sing the songs. I love you, Lord. We, we, we can wear it on our t-shirts and all the other things. If you love golf, you're going to go play golf because you love golf. If you love your families, you're going you're gonna to spend time with your families because I'm drawn to it. I'm going to do what I love. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you guys either bought something for your wife or you took your wives out this past week because you love them? Raise your hand. All right. Come on, guys. That's like, raise it up high. Be proud of it. All right. Now, if your husband just raised his hand and he's lying, I want the wife to raise your hand at this time and just tell on him. He's, he's lying right now. He didn't do anything for me. You, you know why we get out of our way and you see all these men run like mad to Kroger or Walmart or Walgreens or whatever, and they're getting the flowers and everything Tuesday afternoon at 5.30 on their way home from work? Number one, because they forgot and they procrastinated. Number two, because they love their wives. And they don't want to get in trouble, but mainly because they love their wives. <laughs> love is an action. You do what you love. You invest in what you love. You go to places that you love. It's what we do. Jesus was calling him back to his purpose because fishing is what he was doing when Jesus found him in the first place. He's like, what are you doing here, buddy? Remember I called you to a greater purpose and then you got discouraged and said, yeah, I'm just going to go fishing. I'm doing this. Let me point out two simple points, and we'll be done, that Jesus was teaching them. Number one, a disciple will love God above everything else. A disciple will love God above everything else. Jesus sitting there cooking breakfast. Okay, stop right there. Isn't that just cool in and of itself? Can you imagine complaining about that breakfast? Well, it's kind of dry. I mean, it's... You would not, that had to be the the, the most divine, perfect breakfast you've ever had in your life. It was cooked by God. So he's literally sitting there eating his breakfast. 
And all of a sudden, God, Jesus, in the flesh, right there, turns and asks the question, do you love me? Guys, when your wife asks you the question, honey, do you love me? It's either because they want you to do something or what you are doing does not line up with what you are saying. One of the two. His response is, yes, Lord, I love you. But I don't think we realize the intensity of what God is trying to get across in this passage. Now, I know you can see this from surface level when you look at this because our English language does not go as deep into this as, as what the Greek language does. When Jesus said, do you love me? He used the word agape, which is the unconditional, I'm sold out, I'm dedicated, I'll go to the end of the world with you, Lord. But when Peter responds to him, the Greek word there is phileo, which is a friendship love. Which is kind of like saying, Lord, you know I like you. I I don't know about you when Jesus is saying, I just died on the cross for you. I gave my life for you. I held nothing back from you. Peter, I'm not asking you if we're friends or we hang out. I'm asking you, do you love me unconditionally? You, You get what I'm trying to get this across to you, that... The fact is, is God's not asking or calling us to be disciples of Jesus Christ that hangs out with them on the weekends or calls them up when we need something. God is saying, I'm reaching in your life to want to know that are you sold out? Are you surrendered? Is it do or die? And everything that I have belongs to you, God. Peter is just responding, Lord, I like you. You're not getting it. Second time. Peter, I'm asking you again, do you love me? Agape. And Peter responds again, Lord, you know that I like you. You know that i fond of you. See, when you like a girl, and maybe you're, you're dating, and let me tell you guys the ones that are in here right now. If you like a girl, you've got the option open to maybe like another girl at the same time. But when you love a girl, you say, I love you, and I belong to you. Everybody else is off limits. See, that's the thing that God was trying to get across. God is not looking from you or anybody else in this building right now for a casual relationship. He's looking out for sold-out dedication to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I think a lot of times when we sit there and realize that we're not making a difference and we're not being one, therefore we're not making one, is because we have a casual relationship with God on the weekend rather than being sold out the way that he's called us to be. But there's an interesting twist. The third time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? He says, Peter, do you like me? And he says, Lord, and he was a little irritated at that point. He goes, whoa, okay, what, what, what's, what's the sarcasm or the inside message that you're trying to get here? He says, Lord, you know that I like you. But the point that God was trying to get across was, this, am I number one? Am I above all? Am I greater than these? Let me, let me ask you in your life right now, what is the these if Jesus was to sit down with you right now? And he was to sit there and ask you, hey, so-and-so, do you love me? And I know your response would be, Lord, of course I love you. And God is looking, saying, well, then do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your job? Because that job comes first oftentimes. You run to that job more than you run to me. Do you, remember, do you love me? As much as you love that girlfriend that you spend all that time with, but I, I can't get you to, to, to look my direction. Do you love me more than what keeps you out of church? Because how in the world can you say that you love me when you don't seek me and want to be with me? Because love is an action. And right now, Peter, what you're doing is not matching up with what you are saying. Let me show you the second thing. 
A disciple will love God above everything else. Sold out. Agape. I'm with you. You're number one. But a disciple will love God completely. Turn back with me to Matthew 22.35. It's in the same timeline, really, this happened right before this happened. And Jesus is teaching and he's doing what he did. And he teaches one of the greatest commandments. And this is part of the foundation of us as a church. Oftentimes I teach this in starting point. I, I share it in connecting point. I, I, it's, it's on your bulletin right now. You're going to get this because of this. It's so foundational. He says, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Do you realize with God, he said, here's the first. You know what first means? It comes before everything else. It, it, it comes before your love for your, any, any person. It comes before your love for any object or job or possession or money or pursuit in life. God said, this is the first thing that you do. And the reason why God put it that way is because when you have a relationship with God, everything else will fall in place. Amen. And when you get that out of whack and you get so busy in life saying, well, when I get things worked out or when I get the chance or if I can whatever, all of a sudden you put the, the, the cart before the horse and I'm telling you, you're not going to get anywhere like that. See, he was just calling him on. This was nothing new. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and 5 is the exact same parallel of what he was saying from the Old Testament. See, it's the greatest commandment and God never changed. What is the most important thing that we do in life is to love God. Let me put it like this. It's not just to love God, it's to have a relationship with God. The most important thing that we teach in church is to love God. The most important thing that we do, the motivation that we do, and the things that we say is to show the love of God in all that we do. We can say that we love God, but I tell you in this passage, God didn't just say to love him. Notice how he put it. In Matthew 22, 37 again, but Jesus said to them, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, listen to this, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all. Let me, let me break this down because God broke it down. He said, with all your heart. We know the heart does not mean the heart muscle the, the, that we have to pump the body, but it's a seed of emotions. It, it, I heard it put like this. To love him with all the heart is to fix the affection supremely on him, more strongly than on anything else, and to be willing to give up all that we would hold dear to all of his commandments. Let me ask you this. Do you have a passion for God? Does it show when you sing? Does it show during your week? Does it show in your actions? That in the, in the heart of you, in the seat of emotions, it comes out. Have you ever been around somebody that's in love with somebody? You guys know what I'm talking about? That, that gross, eerie, uncomfortable, quit talking about them. Everything. I mean, you can't tell a story and it's about them. You can't give an illustration. It's about them. You go looking at the story and they, you know, everything is about that person. Okay. If, if you've got friends, you know what I'm talking about like that. Why is that? That person that they care about has that person on their mind all the time. They, they can't get around it. Here's something that's going to happen. When you truly love God, You have a relationship with God. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to fall in love with him. That's a natural thing that happens because God is love. 
You can't get around and taste that God is good and not fall in love because you're going to realize that he is the source of joy and peace and everything that you're missing in your life. But here's the thing. You're not going to be able to help talking about him and showing your actions and say, hey, we've got an opportunity in church to, you know, praise him. Well, I want to sing about God, but I wonder how God looks at us when we stand to sing and, and we mumble through the words. We stand to do something and it's for God and we get all excited if it's the Super Bowl. But man, when it's the things of God, we're just like dreading like we're being forced to go through it. Jen and I, this last Thursday, was it last Thursday? We we went on our Valentine date because Tuesday was a little crazy for us. We had that big event here at the church. And uh, so, man, I couldn't wait. I, I, I couldn't wait to be with her. You can imagine if we got on our date night, we walked through and I was like, all right, let's get this thing over, babe. Let's uh. So how long do I have to be with you? You know, so let, can, can you just bring us our bill as quickly as possible? We want to get this thing. Can you imagine? If, but, but I think sometimes our attitude with the things of God and church and things like that are, are like that. You know, we're, we're preaching the word of God and have people baptized and we're doing things like this. And we're like, honey, how long is he going to go? All this God talk is driving me nuts. You know what I'm saying? We know God loves us. Okay, get on with it. Do your prayer and dismiss us so we can go to big boy. You know, it's... when Jen and I were dating in college, I, uh, the more I was around her, the more I loved her. And I got to the point that I realized, and the more that I was around her, that I could not live without her. And, and I, I'm not going to get all the nitty gritty and stuff, but I, I won't bring up that. But she did uh, break up with me in the middle of all that. Is that bad for me to say? It's not, I'm just saying the history of how things happen. But it was a good thing because we broke off for a, a, a short length of time and she quickly realized that she could not live without this. There's no way. And she started getting interested in this loser. You called him a loser, right? Let's just go with it. Let's, uh, she started getting interested in a loser. And... Uh, and all of a sudden, when we, when we got back, I realized in the course of that, that I literally, and I'm not just saying this, I called up my mom and I said, I can't live without this girl. I have to marry her. I love her with all my heart. Something that happened inside of me. And I'll tell you guys, when, when God does a work in our lives, it was a matter of I, I forsook all and wanted this and only this. And I tell you, it, it, there's, there's a sad thing when God comes in our life and saying, hey, I know that you love me. Then what's this pile of fish that you said that you left to follow me. Because once again, your actions do not follow up. And he said, you're going to love me with all your heart. Literally means every aspect of you. He went on to say, even your soul. There's a difference between your soul and your spirit. The Bible says, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul or a living body or a living person. The same passage or, or the same word is used in Leviticus 21 verse 11. Neither shall he go in to any dead body, which is the word soul. Meaning that the soul of Tony is, or the soul of me, it's, it's me, it's who I am. God was saying, I, you're not only to love God with all of your drive or your passion, your feelings and emotions. God said, Tony, your, your whole body, your whole meaning is, belongs to me. Every bit of it. Realize that what, what I do is to show the love of God, to demonstrate the love of God. We are to love God with how we walk and how we talk, what we do, how we utilize our talents, how we react to challenges, how we give our lives, how we're surrendered, 
every bit. You guys realize when we stand up here and say, hey, we want you guys to give up your time and your energy to be in a play to tell other people about Jesus. It's a way for you to express to God, I love you. This is yours. I'm going to give it to you. Heart, soul, and mind. To accept and obey his will and his commandments. How do we show him that we love him with our mind? It's the decisions that we make, or let me put it, the things that come out of our minds and through our lips. The things that we do to obey his word or to engage in his word. It's what's on our mind when we sing or what's on our mind as we prepare things or what's on our mind even as we sit here today. And then it says, with all your strength. You say, Mark brought it to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and with all thy might or strength. The energy that works from your body that comes out because your actions speak louder than your words. I love how the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You realize that was the motive of why he came? The motive of him coming was the fact that he loved us so much and his response was simply this. I want you to love me in return. At the end of this, when he's about to ascend up in heaven, he's about to do all these things, the one thing that he turns to him and just says, do you love me? I'm going to ask everybody here right now, talk is cheap. I, I, I want to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of somebody, and God says, all right, this is what it looks like. Am I number one? Or do I have to worry about you running back to everything else in this world that I saved you from? And I'm not even saying that fishing was bad. But God changed them and gave them a new purpose, a new drive, a new reason to live. But then God said, I don't want it just passive. I want it heart, soul, mind, and might. Literally meaning that we express our love or we live out the love of God. And God says, what are you thinking about? What are you doing? Where are you going? How are you living? All of these add up to say that I love you. So I'm telling you, you can sit there all day long and say, God, I love you. And God says, well, I'm not seeing it. It's superficial. It's phileo love. It's the friendship love. It's the passive love. And that's not what God's looking for.